0: From the very beginning of her business, Marissa Cellini has donated 5% of every booking to charity. That totally amazes me. Marissa is a social justice advocate who also happens to be a wedding photographer. In this episode, we ask what that means and why it matters that she puts her money where her mouth is. Here's Marissa and also her phone alarm, which goes off about halfway through the episode.
1: My name is Marissa Cellini of Marissa Cellini Photography. And I am a wedding and couples photographer based in Oregon, and I celebrate love stories for all. That's awesome. I am. I was thinking back about one of the first times I met you.
0: And I want to say we met through, we we do this like quarterly meetup with other vendors. And I think we met through Emily Sterling. Does that sound right to you? Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah. She's like the connector of many vendor people. (laughs) I I know. I was like, gosh, I need to like make like some kind of like beautiful mind schematic of like yarn that shows all the different people I've met because of her. But I remember we went around like our circle or whatever, and we're talking about our work. And one thing that really stuck out to me when you talked about your work as a photographer was just that you you led very strongly about talking about like equality and social justice. And, you know, as someone who is kind of newer to those ideas, and particularly in the realm of my business, I found that really refreshing and very inspiring.
1: Uh, would you like to talk at all about why that's important in your work? Sure. Yeah. And actually, it connects to how I actually got my start in wedding photography. So I guess I'll take you on a trip through memory lane here. Please. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. (laughs) I've been an artist and creative basically since birth. And I, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from Oregon State University a few years back. And throughout college, I was pursuing a lot of different art mediums. Photography being one of them, but definitely not my focus at the time. And I was focusing a lot of my work at the time about conceptual, conceptual subjects and uh, social justice issues. Uh, basically, I wanted to have conversations with people about topics that no one wanted to talk about at all. <laughs> so basically, I was, I was observing what was going on in society and making commentary about what I wanted to see improved, especially, especially like regarding like gender roles and um, sexuality and such. So what does that mean? Like how do you
0: were these art projects you were putting together, installations? Was it physically having conversations,
1: all of the above? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was basically all of the above. Like, for example, I did do, I kind have of an experimental video project uh, where I was covering myself in paint and making a commentary about uh like the censorship of women's bodies. Wow. What color was the paint, dare I ask? Oh, well it was filmed in black and white. So oh, cool. Didn't matter. Yeah. I was I am like a very um very pale person. So <laughs> I had like almost like charcoal black paint and it wow. was and I had a black background. So essentially, as I was covering myself, I was also um, like parts of me were starting to blend into the background. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I bet that was really moving. <laughs> I'm like visualizing yeah. it in my head. It was. And uh, for my actual thesis project um, during my senior year in college, it was at a time where a lot of media coverage was covering a lot of killings of unarmed African-Americans in the country Mm -hmm. and um, especially some by police as well as um, some more terrorist actions. And I was struggling on how to speak about that topic as a white, a white female, um, because I, I wanted to speak out that I thought this wasn't right. But I also did not want to claim to speak for a community that I was not a part of. And also not try to act like some kind of like, you know, like a white savior complex, essentially. So I ended up making a six foot tall podium. And on top of the podium, I hand stacked 50 plaster gun replicas. Oh my gosh. So I made, I made a plaster gun mold from a kid's toy that's actually very accurate to what a handgun would look like. And I bought it from Fred Myers, and it was like ages five and up. And the ac- the actual toy was called the Peacekeeper, which well, is... Terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Well, and from like a historical standpoint, the Peacekeeper is a or was a term used to um, define like the armed forces and police forces and such as the people keeping the peace in society. So I found it definitely an interesting, interesting, like use of the word and such. So I hand stacked these gun replicas on top of each other. And they're meant to look at people from like an eye level. So wherever you went around the podium, there was always a gun pointing at you.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Which is probably I mean, I would think most people's first encounter that way even though we are so desensitized dissentic- to seeing guns and violence on tv and other media
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it's very it's very confrontational but it was very well received I found a lot of fulfillment out of making work that that was addressing issues in our society and after I graduated um I was still working on art and then I helped my best friend basically planned her wedding. And then I got engaged. (laughs) Right? This was about two years back. I was kind of in like this, like wedding mindset for a while. And I started to notice all these beautiful photos that I would see of couples that were engaged or married, or celebrating like a life event. And I became really captivated and enamored with Um, with different photographers' ability to capture so much emotion and connection in their photos. Strangely enough, I had taken some photography classes in college, but I'd convinced myself that I was, like, outright terrible at photography. Oh, my God, really? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's so hard to believe, having seen your work. Yeah, so I only used the camera for several years in college just to document my art projects, like, purely as a, like, a portfolio, like proof that I did a project. But yeah, I was feeling like really inspired by seeing other photographers work and the way they were capturing, like so much beauty in these people's relationships. And I kept hemming and hawing for a long time. Because, again, I had like convinced myself that there's no way I could do that. Right. And then I reached a point where I told myself, like, either I have to let this go, or I have to give this a try. So I contacted some friends that were engaged, and I took their photos. And it was like, everything clicked for me. That is so cool. And I've basically been running ever since. <laughs> now, I think a lot of people can relate
0: to that. You know, yeah. they're just like, well, here we go. We're on the treadmill. We're on the roller coaster.
1: Yeah. And like with having kind of that social justice mindset before I even started my photography, I knew from the start that I wanted my photography business to represent all types of love and to, to strive to really promote diversity and inclusivity and really be welcoming for any body type and any couple and any identity. That's so clear
0: like on the work that you do and the language that you use. But one way that I've really noticed, um, and it's something I'm thinking about for my own business, is you give 5% of, I think it's if it's every fee or perhaps it's a profit of um, the booking, you give it to charity. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So I donate 5% of every booking, regardless of what it is, to one of five nonprofit organizations that I feel align in some way with. Uh, my values as a person and as a business.
0: How did that idea come about?
1: Ooh, how did it come about? (laughs) You're just like, I don't know, just another great idea. I think when I graduated from my university, I was not like very wealthy financially or anything. Um, My parents helped some for college pain and I worked all through college. But the biggest contributor that helped me get through college with a very minimal amount of student loan debt was that I actually was awarded I think about 11 different scholarships and awards throughout my college years right there
0: with you I was definitely definitely scholarships
1: yeah so and I mean some of them work quite a bit of work and it was more than just a piece of paper and a deposit into my bank account. Oh, yeah. But, There's work to them for sure. <laughs> but I remember being really thankful while I was a student that there were these donors that were donating money, even though they never saw like the person that these donations benefited. Like they were they were just doing it because they care and they wanted their money to go towards something that would have a positive impact in someone's life.
0: I remember I had to write a thank you note every quarter, I think it was, or maybe it was every year, but to my donor for my biggest scholarship. And I remember thinking, I did it, you know, I did it regularly. And I would just always just like, I hope they get this because, you know, them paying for my tuition, I mean, it made all the difference at the time. And then as I've gone older, just really realized what a difference that made.
1: Right. Because, yeah, there's not really... (laughs) That doesn't really exist after college. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) So I remember thinking when I graduated college that I wanted to be in some kind of financial, financial like abundance per se, to where I could start a like art scholarship and give back to my college and help another student who was pursuing the arts and then <laughs> and then reality set in quickly after I graduated and I was like, Well, I'm not as rolling in dough as I thought I was. Right. You're like, uh, I actually still need those scholarships just for life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> postgrad scholarships a thing. But once I got into my photography business and I really started to see it take off, I was kind of at a crux of deciding what my prices needed to be like what they need to be adjusted to so that they could account for the cost of doing business cost of living and like what I wanted basically out of my business. And I realized that, you know, I may not be like, rolling in dough, but I still had, you know, I still have like 100% control over how I operate my business. And with that, I realized like I could make any choice I wanted to really about about my pricing, but I also realized that it didn't it didn't have to be something where I was like, "Okay, I'm going to give $5,000 right now." It could be smaller steps that make a big impact. Right, right. And so that's when I got the idea about having a portion of every booking go towards like nonprofit organizations that aligned with my values.
0: And did you just add the way that you figured that out? Did you just add that kind of 5% buffer knowing that like, okay, if I was going to charge $1,000, you know, now I'll charge 1050 if I did my math right there. Was that kind of the the math? (laughs) Or was it a little bit of guesswork?
1: Yeah, so Um, I definitely factored it in because I I used like an online wedding photography calculation calculator and, you know, I used some Excel sheets and I went through like every single expense. I basically predicted I would donate like X amount to nonprofit organizations over a year. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily calculating it as a like per booking donation, but more of a like, over the course of a year, if I am as successful as I'm wanting to be, this is about how much I would be taking out. And it's nice because in a way, like for my most expensive package, which is a 10 hour wedding photography package, that's $3,000. And if I and when I'm donating to a nonprofit, uh, 5% of that would be $150. So I I've gotten into the habit of as soon as a uh, contract is signed, and someone books me, and like their, their initial payment hits my account, then I right away will go and make that donation.
0: So it's like you don't even have the money to, you know, squander or, or do something else
1: with, right? Like, it's sort of like out of sight out of mind. <laughs> as soon as it hits my account, I do the same thing with taxes. I just I don't even right. want to work with it. It's not my money. And I found that that's worked really well for me. I just made this pricing change in April of 2019 and I have a few pending wedding inquiries right now, but my next booking should, should bump me over 500, like over the $500 mark for total donations to nonprofits. That
0: is incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I just thought it was so cool because one, I thought it was such a nice way to signal to clients and other vendors that like, you know, Your money is literally where your mouth is, which I struggle a lot because with my own business, because, you know, you can say a lot of things, right? You can show all the different types of clients you work with or or talk about, or as I do write about these topics, but you literally are saying, no, I'm I'm going to invest. I'm going to give money that I could pocket and no one would look, you know, twice at me. I'm going to actually give it to things that I care about. And so I really want to figure out a way to build into my business. I also know, you know, completely mercenary, I know that you've booked clients because of this. We're working on a wedding together at the end of this month, That I believe you said that that couple was, was more interested in you because you do this.
1: Yes. So I didn't necessarily like intend it. It's not some kind of sneaky business tactic.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. That was like a total, like, I think from the way that you've talked about it, it was kind of a surprise of like, Oh God. Well, sure. Yeah. If that, if you like
1: that, <laughs> that's not why I'm doing it. Yes. So actually, the inquiries that I've been getting since since I added the, the nonprofit donations, I would say, at least 75% of those inquiries have directly, directly acknowledged my nonprofit donations or my commitment to giving back. Wow, that's when incredible. they fill out my contact form. Yeah. And it seems like the the type of people it's attracting is exactly the kind of clients I love working with. And I don't necessarily have like, you know, a client type or whatever. No, I know there's know, people you yeah. work better
0: with, or, you know, whose values align more, you know, cohesively with yours. I understand that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know there's a lot of talk between vendors about like, what's your ideal client, <laughs> and such, but I feel like by communicating that I make these donations, and also in the very specific like organizations I've chosen, it seems to really be attracting people who have those same values. And like regardless if they want to elope with just them on a mountaintop, or they want to have 300 people in a ballroom, like I'm thinking like these are my type of people because their values are so similar to mine. And it's just so clear in um, how they respect my time, and my energy and Like trust me completely on a wedding day. It really shows. That's really interesting. I love thinking of it as kind of
0: this litmus test, just for yourself too. You know that you guys are going to start on kind of a common common denominator because it can be hard. I mean, I I have the same issue with my work of people always ask me that question of like, what's your ideal client? And and honestly, I. I don't really have like a list of requirements or adjectives that I use for people because often I find when I try and predict that stuff, I'm usually quite wrong. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) you never really know it until you're in it. Um, But that's, that's interesting that that would be a benefit of it. And not even one that it sounds like you intended.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I was hoping that it would attract people with similar values to me and people that, you know, are maybe looking at ways to be more mindful about their wedding planning Um, Whether that's people that are more like sustainably minded or um, have their eyes on being more environmentally friendly, things like that seems to attract people that are like they really want to be intentional with their wedding planning and they really want to be like mindful in ways that they can kind of like lower waste or things similar to that.
0: Well, I always find that very inspiring when I hear vendors who kind of, for lack of a better phrase, they lean into being more forward-facing about their own values in their business. Because, and I, I know I have this problem, but there can be this fear of, well, if I share too much about who I am, you know, Beth Kramer, not the wedding coordinator, this client won't book me. And I find it very interesting when someone like you that, you know, it's not like, Everything that you are is on your website, but I think you're very honest about like this is what I do, this is what I try and do this is this is why this work matters to me. These are my values, these are organizations I support. I think it's it's such a positive indicator that like people actually respond to that. You actually get paying clients because of that. People aren't running away and being like, "Oh my God, she donates to such and such. I don't you know her business is going to fail. So I love to hear that. I think that's really inspiring. There's a lot to learn from that.
1: Well, thank you. The other day, I was like, we were just recently talking about how I had planned a big, like, triple styled shoot. Basically, I organized three different styled shoot scenes per se to take place at two different locations in the Mount Hood National Forest area. Not only was I working with vendors to create these styled shoot scenes, but while I was photographing these scenes, I also had a videographer who was filming me (laughs) as like a behind-the-scenes branding session film that she's creating for me. It was definitely different for me to adjust to being filmed while I'm working. But one of the things about a branding session, uh, no matter what way you do a branding session, I mean, there's multiple ways to approach it, but I had to really have my values of my brand honed in to be able to talk about concisely and like efficiently <laughs> like running running within like a certain time frame for how long I was taking to talk about something it was really good to sit down and really think about what my values are and like I had a loose idea of certain things and I've made like lengthy Instagram captions about things that align with my values, but to really like have to summarize. And one of the one of the brand values I had was honesty and transparency. So that kind of ties into to what you were saying. Like I'm very transparent about my pricing and all of my packages on my website, and I found that that's. Been received very well from couples and clients. And um, when I was planning for my own wedding, it was a huge turnoff if um, I looked at a vendor's website, and it said, inquire for pricing. Like they instantly went into my no pile, because I, I didn't want to have this awkward back and forth of like, how much are you? I probably can't afford you that kind of thing. And I will say I don't, you know, I don't share every part of my life on social media what and I don't I mean I don't think anyone should really <laughs> That'd be <too> like, <laughs> it would probably honestly be like exhausting oh for god. someone to try to keep up with that no thank you no, I think there's a Jim Carrey movie on that topic and I'd rather not live it like it's like you don't need to hear about like every parking ticket I've got for staying parked too long I love long that's and- where your head went I was like oh my god I don't want <laughs> them to see me when I wake up you know like nobody needs to see oh. that right <laughs> well yeah I know a lot of people have been like saying oh insta stories on instagram is where it's at and you should have your face like you should be video like a video chatting on your insta stories like every day and I know vendors who do that really well and it's a great way to see their personality but I'm realizing that that's like not necessarily the venue that I or the avenue I feel comfortable talking to people through. Because if I have this like recording on my face, I just feel very awkward about things. You know, everyone has to think about like, what's the best, what's the best, most comfortable way for them to teach their couples and potential clients about who they are, and why they, you know, why they're different than like the next vendor.
0: I feel very personally, very comfortable with this, with this decision in my business, but I know it makes other people uncomfortable, but I actually have no social media tied to my business. If you don't count like Yelp and Google, where I do have very robust review platforms. The one area that I have always felt a little awkward about is Instagram, because I know that it, you know, having talked to a lot of vendors, I know that it's a place that not only do they get client leads, but often they just get great vendor connections. And I've often felt like, Oh God, am I missing something there? And this is in no way saying I'm never going to have an Instagram. But I've never done one because when I've tried in the past, I just always felt that I had nothing that I really wanted to add to the conversation. And a problem I run into as a coordinator is I don't really have any media to, to add to it. You know, a florist or photographer, someone who's kind of more in the aesthetic realm of the wedding industry, I feel you kind of generate your content. A lot of my content is words. And, you know, I'd make all these like little quote memes. and I'd be like, oh, my God. OK, you know, I can only do so many of these right before it's boring. So I'd love to hear your relationship to Instagram, because I I've always enjoyed your Instagram. I, I think that you do a nice job of balancing that personal and the professional. Obviously, your work is beautiful. The images you share. But yeah, talk about how Instagram has both positively and negatively influenced your business. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a sensitive topic. I feel like everyone's kind of like love hate when it comes to that
1: yeah well, I will say, like more recently, I've kind of slowed down on my Instagram posting upkeep. I used to be every one to two days, and now I'm like once a week, but mostly what happens when I go dark, so to speak, <laughs> on my instagram right <laughs> yeah on on my Instagram posting is usually I'm just so busy catching up with editing or contracts or emails. But when I do post and when I do, you know, post Insta stories and such, I get a lot of positive feedback. It's been a good way for me to sort of get people to know me and trust me. And I know there's like, um, there's a psychology behind selling the like, no, like trust model, where like, people have to, to like, know you first, and then they have to decide that they like you, like maybe they bond with you over something. And then that transitions to them feeling like they can trust you and being motivated to put money towards like whatever you're selling. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I feel like Instagram is a really good way to establish that no like trust relationship because, you know, you can like directly interact with people that are engaged and, you know, may soon be engaged. And there's also a lot of cross promotion that can happen. When you develop like good vendor relationships, as well as like all of my couples, if they share a photo from their engagement session or their wedding, like they're tagging me. So it can be really good for getting like more eyes in front of my work and for me to be able to communicate my worth beyond just my photo taking ability. But I will say one of the things that I didn't predict would be an issue. It's kind of a weird thing. So I'll try to communicate the best I can. (laughs) Oh, I'm all ears. (laughs) So on Insta stories, which are like, they're only 24 hours long. And they're kind of like, you cycle through your profile. And a lot of people use that for like, like less polished posting, more like, here's a cell phone snap of like my ice cream today. Or look at this nice flower I found on the corner of the street. And like photographers have been starting to utilize it more as a way to show sneak peeks from weddings they've shot or to do certain like polls about, you know, when do you think I should do mini sessions? Like, would you be interested? So it's a good way to get engagement and to get feedback. But um, with every Insta story, uh, at least I have the business profile on Instagram, which has this feature is that um, you can see all the people that have viewed a specific Insta story. So there will be times that I will post something because I realize that someone that I'm trying to like, quote, woo, as a as a client, or like potential client, if I see that they've, they've been consistently watching my Insta stories, I might like post a call to action or I might post something related to what I know they're interested in. So like if I know that they really love my forest wedding photos and they've been religiously watching every one of my Insta stories, then I might just kind of like ham it up one day (laughs) and post a lot of like forest wedding photos or ask some kind of poll like, you know, would you get married in the forest? but it also has a kind of a bad side to it because while i do get a lot of business through instagram and i have booked clients through instagram i also notice that this means that a lot of my clients who are you know have signed contracts they've paid me etc a lot of them are watching every single one of my insta stories there's like a little bit of almost guilt on my end if i have an email that is like one of my couples sent me and maybe I need some time to think about it. You know, maybe I'm out and about like running errands and I really need to like sit down and like check on their contract about something or answer it in five minutes. You need a little time. Exactly. But if that happens to one of the, the people that I know watches my Insta stories, then I feel guilty if I, if I post an insta story before I respond to their email that says something that makes it look like I Right. Well she's not answering your email, but she's on Instagram, right? Right. Like why is she selfieing herself with a big thing of cotton candy right now instead of answering my email? And I try to set like expectations with my with my clients that I'm not necessarily going to be able to respond to something like in the same hour. I definitely up my response time, like within when it's like, within the two weeks before their wedding. And if it's the week of their wedding, I'm like, hey, here's my cell phone number again, plug it into your phone. And if anything is going haywire, let me know and I will help you with the plan B ASAP. It's interesting that you say that I hadn't even thought about kind of this fishbowl effect or like just kind of being monitored, you
0: know, because... I can imagine that. I mean, it's just like having a personal Instagram of like, I don't know. I'm like thinking about back when, you know, I was dating and it's just like, oh, did he like it? Did he not like it? Oh, he's posting this. He's doing that. Why didn't he reply to my text? I mean, it's that same kind of like, you know, mindfuckery, for lack of a better word that you can just kind of like spiral on.
1: Exactly. Yes. So there is another thing I've noticed when it comes to Instagram and social media, especially when it's connected to my business. And I don't know if this is something other vendors experience or if it's just completely in my own head. <laughs> but um, since I'm one of the more like openly social justice like vendors, and I, I'm definitely by no stretch of the imagination, the only one. There's many, and some are more outspoken than others. But I definitely feel a lot of pressure when something happens in the news or in the media or in society. And I see other people are really outraged about it and posting and saying like, you know, if you're not upset about this, like you should be and not, ne- not necessarily like directly to me, but just like to their own, they're outwardly saying this on their own Instagram platform. For me if I were to address literally everything that frustrates me or saddens me or angers me about today's society like I would be posting 24 hours a day. There's just there's there's too much going on to really address all of it. It kind of makes you wonder like what I should be posting about and what I shouldn't comment about and like what is appropriate for me as a business to be talking about. So oftentimes that's kind of mm, like at conflict with my own personal values.
0: Do you have an example where you feel like you really nailed that, that something happened in the world that you felt you had an appropriate response to?
1: (laughs) Goodness. Let me think about that for a moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel you scrolling. You're like, oh God, what did I post? (laughs) I'm definitely like scrolling because... I, I feel like sometimes I'm able to put my ideas down better in like my, in like my thoughts. So sometimes my Instagram captions are basically just like, almost like a brain dump. So here's one that I posted on January 22nd. So I wrote, I've got some choice words for this morning's news on the Supreme Court's decision to allow the transgender military ban to go into effect this is such a disservice to the thousands of transgender men and women currently serving and likely thousands of others who may have been interested or in the process of enrolling to defend our country. Transgender men and women are every bit as deserving to have the same rights and freedoms as their cisgender counterparts. And it makes me frustrated and upset that this attempt is being made to dehumanize and strip the identity of these folks when they are literally committed to fighting to defend our country's freedoms. I know there are those who say to keep business and politics separate, but my business is people, celebrating their milestones, capturing their love stories, and honoring their identities. So for anyone who needs to hear it, you are valued, you are important, and you have a light all your own that belongs in this world. Please keep shining on. And then I wrote a PS, please recommend below, Any and all nonprofit organizations related to LGBTQ and specifically protecting transgender rights. I would love to learn about more organizations to direct my support to and educate others about for the future. What was the image paired with that, if you can describe it? It was of an LGBTQ couple. There is one person wearing a pink shirt and another person is wearing a colorful Dress, And you can only see the hands of both of these people that are like kind of layered on top of each other and pressed against one person's chest, essentially. And the sun is actually hitting the sequins of the top on the left. And it's creating this rainbow like sequin dancing reflection on the uh, person's pink shirt on the right. And also that rainbow is reflecting on the pairs of hands. That sounds really beautiful. Yeah. And I also included um, a list of hashtags. And I wrote, I said below hashtags are hashtags as requested by the featured couple in regards to how they identify. And what was the response? Well, someone we know actually commented. (laughs) And they wrote, it is absolutely horrendous. And yes, the personal is political. And it cannot and shouldn't be separate from your business. And aside from that, it was pretty well received. I honestly don't deal with people like ever being hateful or discriminatory on the images that I post on my site. I can't even think of a time when I've ever gotten a comment on one of my photos that was like discriminatory or vulgar or mean or hateful. But my photos especially of lgbt couples do get shared a lot on different feature accounts and different lgbt like wedding accounts and groups and i actually monitor everywhere they're shared pretty closely because there's always people on those accounts that i'm not sure why they're following accounts if they <laughs> if they're so against If they're so against the imagery that's being posted, but there are people that will post something or even just a frowny face, which is not an appropriate response for the photo being featured. And I just, I just report all of those people as um, I forget. I forget what Instagram calls spammers or something like that. No, I've, I've flagged them even harder. I say like this, I say this person is dangerous Well, it's good. I mean, that it sounds like
0: that could escalate. And that's important to to
1: monitor that in that way. Right. So yeah, I was I was keep an eye on on photos of my couples when I flag I flag anyone who comments anything negative.
0: And I don't know if you would have run into this or not. But do your couples ever struggle with that? Because I mean, I've been thinking about it in the context of my own wedding of like, wanting to have a conversation about how our images can be used both for the marketing of the photographer, but also in this way of like, they put it on their Instagram and then it gets picked up somewhere else and gets picked up somewhere else and gets picked up somewhere else. Like, how do you feel that as a photographer and, and, you know, legally the owner of these images?
1: Right. Like, are you saying in terms of like being concerned that a photo could be used like in a negative portrayal?
0: Right. Yeah. How do you just monitor that both for your own business, but also that I would think like, your clients, you know, don't want their image to end up somewhere that they're not comfortable with.
1: Right. Well, it is tough because, you know, at the end of the day, I can't control where an image goes, nor would I even have full awareness of where it would go. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know I've gotten traffic from like Twitter to my website, and I don't own a Twitter. So like, that means that someone reposted or something, a photo of mine. And it's, you know, I still don't know how to like track things like that. And I haven't had anything posted in a negative way that I could find. But I definitely, I mean, I, ha- I have certain like wording in my contract that ensures that I have like full copyright to my, you know, to any photos I take. But like, if I'm ever, if I'm ever, like, submitting a photo gallery or something to be considered for like a blog feature or some kind of wedding publication. That's always a conversation I have with my couple well in advance before I submit something, just because I want them to be fully aware what I would like to do and where those images would end up. And I don't, I don't watermark my images. Part of it's like aesthetic. (laughs) From an aesthetic reason, I don't really like watermarks on images. But the other part is that I, I'm trying to be in a mindset, especially this year, of encouraging community over competition, and trying not to, like, try not to tightly clutch any images I have because I would rather they be shared, you know, with, you know, from vendors that were involved, shared with family members who would love to see those photos. So I try, to, I try to keep it, you know, not tightly locked up.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I think it's, it's very inspirational and, and needed more across all different types of genres of vendors. I did want to say, I know we've been talking about some really heavy stuff. One of my favorite photos on your Instagram recently um, was one from your own wedding. You had kind of a series of them. Um, and one, I thought you looked gorgeous. I loved the shrug, have considered something similar for myself. But I would love just to hear a little bit more. you know you you recently got married, you were navigating wedding planning. As you know, I'm engaged, I'm navigating it myself and I don't know about you, but like this is a hell of a lot harder than I thought it would be for someone who literally works in this industry.
1: <laughs> oh yes, very much. So yeah, so is there a certain thing you'd like me to talk about in regards to that experience or? Well, now I'm
0: just getting selfish and I'm like, Marissa, just give me your advice. Like if you, you know, Marissa of like what, two months ago, what, what would you tell yourself? Because like for me, I think one of the hardest parts of planning my own wedding as like literally a wedding planner has been like, I'm running into the same things that I have always heard from my couples and I have always tried to give them advice. And now I really have to take my own medicine and it's much harder when it's like my mom or my mother-in-law or my insert relative. And that's just so difficult to field. So yeah, I don't know. Do you have any advice for someone who is like a wedding industry vendor person who is also trying to have a gosh darn wedding?
1: Oh, (laughs) well, I mean, I I won't go into the specific family dynamics that my partner and I had to deal with that made our experience extraordinarily stressful in the final weeks, but um I always check with my couples about – I have, like, a questionnaire I send out to them. And I I ask them to tell me if there's any special circumstances in their family that I should know about, especially when it comes to, like, death in the family or um, if a parent isn't in the picture or if there's any divorces, step-parents, et cetera. And um, when I meet – when I have, like, a consult and I meet up with my couple – I always, I always ask them about family dynamics. And if there's anything I should know, like any drama they foresee, uh, for lack of a better way to word it. And that honestly, I think is a good conversation to have with your couple. Because especially for talking in person with them, sometimes couples just need the opportunity to be able to rant about something that's stressing them out. Because it's like, you never know what's going on from the other side. And um, that also might help you kind of clue into something that you can do to help. Like, I don't know if they have a relative who's being very fussy, or if they have someone that they're not sure what kind of task to give them, but they want to give them something simple then like you might be able to give them some ideas that can kind of alleviate some of those to do's on their list. And another thing I realized is, so I like help make timelines for a lot of my couples. A lot of times my couples are really grateful because they're like, we just were hitting a a roadblock with this. And when it came to making the timeline for my partner and I, for our elopement, so we only had 12 people, it was like, panic for me to try to figure it out I was like I was like hitting a brick wall I was like I don't know how to do any of this it was so weird because I was planning timelines like just a couple weeks before and I came to realize that I so this is like one of those things that was like an aha moment to me after after our wedding and I realized that when you're so emotionally invested and close to the wedding planning, as in you are planning your own wedding, uh, that it becomes infinitely more difficult to make definitive decisions on things because you're kind of like putting emotions into everything because it's such an emotion-filled day. And it almost it almost has this effect where it makes it makes all of these decisions feel heavier than they are. And that's what, I mean, that rang very true for me. And I've seen that in a few other couples as well, where they just kind of like hit a roadblock on some kind of decision. You know, I say, well, you could just do it this way. That's a very logical way to do it. And they're like, yes, that's perfect. Like we hadn't been able to really like settle on something. So I think that's a way as a vendor that you can be helpful Is to kind of realize that if they're struggling to make a decision, it might not be that they're like, you know, it might not be that they're like being lazy about it or that they're like avoiding contacting you. It just may be that they're like so overwhelmed or they're so emotionally invested that they feel almost like paralyzed on how to make a decision on something professionally, I see that all the time. I mean, my not super nice way of putting
0: it is I feel like people go catatonic a couple of weeks out from their wedding because they are just so stimulated. There's so many questions. Often there's also like physical guests arriving. So there's that whole element to it. And so people shut down and it's totally a survival mechanism. But also very personally, I mean, you're saying this about like, you know, your your kind of epiphany after you got married of just like, Oh, that's why this was so hard because of all the emotion infused in it. And I'm just nodding my head. Yes. Because like, I can think of countless examples in planning my own wedding. And, you know, our wedding is 19 people strong. I mean, we are not talking a, you know, major affair in that sense. Um, and I, I also get an analysis paralysis and I also second guess everything. And I mean, I've gone back and forth on things that like, if I was my own client, I would have been like, just make a decision already. So good to know that that, that is a normal place to be. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing about the timelines, just hearing you talk about that, it's like, you know, I create timelines too, of course, in my work. And I was doing it the other day. I was looking at our timeline and I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot sunset. You know, I forgot to put when the sun is going to set on our wedding day, which, you know, for people who plan weddings, particularly photographers, you know, that's important because you got to think about the light, right? The light to capture the images. And we're getting married at the very end of November. Light is going to be scarce if really existed at all. And we ended up shifting our ceremony up half an hour because I turned to my fiance. I was just like, you know, we're doing photos after the ceremony. We really got to think about this. And it was just one of those like, oh, my God, blind spot moments. Like how many timelines have I done in all seasons, all months? And I always have sunset on
1: there. Um, And just did not even remember that for my own wedding in late November. Yeah, I definitely thought that as a wedding vendor that like, this would be like slam dunk. <laughs> I feel like, oh, I'm planning my own wedding now. Like finally something that like I've got the upper hand in and I'm like well versed in and I know I should know what what are good choices to make and what are not good choices to make. And, and like, you know, from, a, from an like imagining it kind of standpoint where you're like, oh yeah, that was, yeah, that'd be great. But then once you're in it, you're like, oh, wow. And it kind of gives you a lot more empathy for your clients as well. It really felt like for a long time that it was like trying to balance a side job. And the side job was planning our own wedding. Well, I tell couples that all the time. You know, I mean, realistic and
0: like very vetted statistics around the wedding industry are very few and far between. But one quote that I or one stat that I always go back to is that, you know, the knot which I only mention here because they are the only place that really surveys at, at the capacity that may, is meaningful. They once did a survey of, I think it was 1,500. And in this case, it was women who had planned their weddings. And the majority of them said that they spent, on average, 10 hours or more a week on wedding planning. Which, you say that, and Oof. you're like, oh, my God. And then you plan a wedding, and you're like, oh, yeah. I, is only 10? And the way I've tried to start framing that with my conversations with other vendors and particularly with couples is 10 hours a week of anything else in your life that wasn't planning a wedding. We call that a part-time job, you know, that's not a hobby. That's not, we're not binging a show on Netflix, like 10 hours a week. That is a dedicated amount of labor that you're doing. And so, yeah, I I hear you on that part that once you're in it, you're kind of like, oh, okay, I'm living it. I see see it now, you know, even though I do it for a job, now I'm doing it as like a second job.
1: And actually kind of in a vein of like one of the things I want to change about the wedding industry is so like, you know, y- you and I are, are both like fairly privileged sure, and we, we align with a lot of the things that the current wedding industry as a whole caters to. And, you know, I have a quite, quite a bit of LGBT clients And I would say almost all of them have already been dealing with discrimination from vendors or venues or inappropriate comments or concerns about like where they can plan their honeymoon based on what country is actually gay friendly. And that's like concerns that you and I likely haven't dealt with. Because, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we are white, cis, straight women, you know, yes. and
0: young mm-hmm. in the terms of like, you know, we are the average age people get married in the U.S. for our, for our demographic. They, we, just don't, we just don't navigate those things um, or, or face those obstacles.
1: Right. And yeah, and we're both fairly thin in that we could walk into a store and they would automatically carry our size. So yeah, so I've heard even issues from couples that have been planning, like here in Oregon, and even in Portland, about, like, an example is two grooms were touring venues. And this was like a story they told me. And they went to one, they went to one venue. And the venue manager um, tried to make a joke and said, which one of you is the groom? they were just like really taken aback because it was just such an inappropriate thing to say. Yeah. There's there's nothing funny about that. It just makes people feel awkward and makes them feel like their relationship
0: isn't validated or equal with a straight couple's relationship. It.
1: Yeah. I hate hearing those stories, but it's important to share them. Right. And they also toured another venue and mind you, this, these are Portland venues and this is happening in 2019. It's not some story from yesteryear. They toured another venue, and the venue manager said, "Oh, well, this is technically like our bridal suite, but I guess one of you guys can get ready in here." And they went in, and this this suite, this area, is like extremely floral, extremely like feminine decor and design. And not to say that that wouldn't appeal to 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 a certain demographic. In any relationship, but the fact that it was so heteronormatively organized, like there was a dedicated like this is the bridal suite and this is the groom suite. It just really communicated that this venue was not well equipped to handle anything other than a bridegroom relationship for the wedding. But this space wasn't for them. and so there of
0: course, the next question is well, is the space safe for me even? Right, right. So what do you do in situations like that? How do you how do you support it sounds like these were client series, how do you support that client? Is it do you listen to them? Do you offer them other venue options?
1: What does that look like? So like in this situation, they they had found a venue later on that was very LGBT friendly and they had said, Oh yes, you know, we've we've hosted same-sex weddings here, they're great, you know, and this is where you can get ready and this is where you can get ready. And it wasn't necessarily like gendered spaces. So they ended up booking that. Yeah. So in that context, it was one of those times where I was like, this is my chance to listen and learn, um, you know, just for my own knowledge. And also, like, you know, just like let them know that they are being heard and that like their experience, you know, is it's valid, you know. Um, that they have feelings about this and such and that it's not okay and that not every venue or every vendor is going to react that way to their relationship. I think that's really important and
0: making people realize that it's it's not them, you know, that they're not the problem here.
1: Right. And I've actually, I announced this on my Instagram and I probably need to find a better way to <laughs> communicate it to like the community at large. But I've actually publicly offered to be the, the like messenger for any LGBTQ plus identified person or couple anywhere in the world. I've offered to reach out to any vendors or venues that they are unsure if they are LGBT friendly and ask on their behalf and ask any questions they wish. But essentially, with me being the buffer, that if there were any discrimination, or hateful comments, or, you know, we do not support this, etc, that they would not be having to deal directly with that discrimination and that negativity. It sounds like such a good
0: way to use the privilege that, you know, we've both identified of being cis, white, white and straight and female in this space, to use that in a way that ideally can, can help a couple who doesn't have those same privileges. But how do you navigate that? How do you make sure that doesn't get savior, you know, I, I'm a savior or, you know, some kind of like savior complex, while also making sure that you're advocating on their behalf? Like, how, where do you even begin with that? And I ask very selfishly, because I mean, that's super intriguing to me, particularly in my line of work to be able to provide that service for couples?
1: Well, I will say 100% full disclosure that no one has yet to take me up on that offer yet. So, but for me, it's mostly about opening that door and saying, hey, if you need it, I will like do you a solid. And I, I make it clear, I'm like, you don't have to be my client. You don't even have to be like in the Oregon area. Like, this is just something I will do to help because I want to help you have, like, a good day. And I don't expect or ask for anything in return. I just, yeah, kind of like what you were saying, I see it as a way to use my privilege to help others. I haven't quite run into the situation yet of, like, you know, if I'm being kind of, like, the savior complex. I mean, if I I do get a couple that says, like, hey, yeah, can you actually vet this you know like venue or vendor for us um it's not necessarily going to be something that i like brag about on social media like i helped a couple today yay me it's more like something i would just handle internally yeah i think that's a key part of it is doing this authentically and not for you to benefit
0: from you know like this isn't like you said you're you would do it for people who don't even pay you And I know, of course, we all need to be respectful of our own time and our own bandwidth and our own profit margins. But like, I think that's the key of it. You know, are you trying to profit off of this in a different way, even if it's just like free marketing? And it sounds like no, like this is just a legitimate human to human offer that I'm making doors open if you want if you want to take me up on it.
1: Right, right. And I don't like I don't reach out to people and say like, hey, Hey, I'll do this. Hey, do you need some of my (laughs) straight help? (laughs) Right, right. I was like, there's a lot of problematic <laughs> wording with that, so I'm like, no, nah, that's yeah. not quite the route I want to take. But yeah, just mostly like letting people know, like you know, if you need, if you if you need that, I can do that. But there's no, there's no like strings attached.
0: I think that's a great example, and I'm thinking, you know, of my own business because sometimes I feel it's almost like I freeze up because and I know this is a very hashtag white person thing to say, but there's this fear of messing up, right? There's this fear of offending. And so I Mm. I think that's such a good example of like, this is a small action for your day-to-day life, right? It didn't upset some crazy thing, but like it can make a big impact to people all over the world. And even more than that, it's just you extending a hand and knowing that if you get it wrong or you say the wrong thing, or maybe it wasn't worded correctly, you would be authentic and trying to learn and apologize and do better next time. But that not trying it isn't a good enough excuse, right? Like you can't just be frozen up and be fearful. So I'm not going to worry about it. So that's that's good to hear. It makes me think like how could I be, how could I be more intentional in my own business about about pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and not just being like, oh god, if I do that, people are going to troll me in the comments because that's a legitimate fear that I have in my own work.
1: Right, right. I've always come across like my business and like the attempts I make at you know being more welcoming or inclusive, etc. I come at from a very humble like perspective where I say like, listen, I know I'm not a part of this community that I'm talking about, but that doesn't stop me from caring. But I also realize that, you know, I'm going to be like an eternal like student <laughs> in the grand scheme of life, and that I'm always learning, and I may make mistakes along the way, and that's okay as long as I learn from it and like learn how to be better and learn how to do better. You know, it's often important too to like keep up with with what what is like appropriate wording and vocabulary, um, like for the current time, because for a while when it came to like how people identify in terms of their pronouns for a long time, it was, you know, the term was like, what are your preferred pronouns? And so for the, I mean, you know, I will admit this for a while I was, you know, geared towards this. Okay. You know, ask people what their preferred pronouns are and, you know, like solid good. But now I'm realizing like, as the vocabulary is, kind of changing a bit on that and people are are saying like no way it's not you know it's not really proper to say what are your preferred pronouns because that is like suggesting that there's kind of like this like choice like oh whatever you know but now I hear people saying like what are your pronouns like it's a matter of fact thing not a like optional if I'll use that or not. I'm literally like logging onto my Squarespace because in my intake form, I have your preferred
0: pronouns. And that's just like, oh my God, you're right. Yeah, I shouldn't say preferred because the, it's, not, it's not a choice, right? This is just who you are. So I'll be fixing that as soon as we hang up this call because that is a great point.
1: Well, and like, I think there's also like something to be said about like, can people tell that your intentions are like going in the right direction? I think that speaks volumes as well. Because neither of us are gonna get it a hundred percent right a hundred percent of the time. But like the differences are we trying to, you know, adjust as we go, et cetera. And like I'm I'm working to be more inclusive in many ways, but I'm still realizing that there's, you know, huge gaps in what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, I still have like a lack of representation for people that aren't able bodied. You know, there's always this like you know, this back and forth internal questioning in my mind of, you know, yes, I want to be more inclusive with my work, but I also want to avoid tokenizing any kind of community or group. I don't just want to say like, oh, I have this photo of this, you know, person from this community, and therefore I am like the person to go to or something. I feel like I hear this a lot from photographers and I know it's because
0: of the medium that your work is in, but yes, you want your work to be more inclusive, whatever that may mean, right? For your business. But there's also this sense of like, am I just checking, am I just checking people off a list, right? Gay couple, lesbian couple, interracial couple, couple of color, you know, and how do you do that authentically? And then of course, there's the double-edged sword of, I want to serve those people, but am I also the best person to serve those people? And you know, if I fill my Instagram with images of people who um, are people of color, am I the right vendor to work with them? That I can meet them in a way that is culturally appropriate or racially appropriate, and how do I how do I do that? You know, how can I give enough to people so that they have the weddings they want, and I am inclusive, and that's important to me, but also recognize that sometimes I am not the best person to serve them. Um, it sounds like you've you've struggled with this in your own work. Would you like to speak to that at all?
1: Sure. Yeah, there's been situations where someone asks for LGBT friendly vendors, in which case, yes, I am an LGBT friendly vendor. But I've also seen where people ask they want maybe a queer owned business. So if that's the case, you know, then I'll say, Oh, well, actually, like, here's some photographers I recommend that are the person behind it, you know, identifies as queer or identifies within the LGBT community. And I think that's kind of a way that if we want to be an ally, that we can kind of use our voice to promote other people as well, especially if we think that they might be a better fit for something.
0: I think it goes back to what you said a few, um, a few moments ago of just like, It's about community over competition, right? It's being able to have that referral network of other vendors and vendors who aren't just like you, that you can point couples to, to better serve them, but also just to be like really honest that like what you do may not be the best fit for them.
1: Yes. And as kind of a good example, I'm helping a a lesbian couple plan for their wedding. And they were wondering about vendor recommendations and... Any vendor that I recommend, to the best of my knowledge, I should say, is LGBT friendly. And that's very important for me, no matter if I'm making these recommendations to a straight couple or not. It's, it's like a priority for me that the vendors that I associate myself with and recommend do have similar values to me. But in this particular case, when I was giving recommendations, I actually gave them a recommendation in each category, like, you know, florals, cake, like makeup, things like that. I gave them one recommendation that was someone I knew personally and had worked with before. And I was like, they are for sure LGBT friendly. Like I've had conversations with them. I know where their heart is at. And I know, um, you know, and like I'm working on projects with them that are, you know, like supporting the LGBT community, etc. And then I also gave another recommendation in that category. That was like, if you want to, if you want to support an LGBT-owned business or queer-owned business, depending on which way you say it. Um, here's someone in that category. I haven't worked with them directly yet, but I've heard amazing things. And you know, like their pies look amazing and their cakes look dreamy, things like that. So I, in each, in each recommendation, I gave them two options so that if they wanted to support someone, if they wanted to support queer owned businesses all across the board, they had ready to go options to look at right there. But they also had another option if they were just looking for someone that was LGBT friendly.
0: What a treasure trove of information. And I mean, above and beyond, honestly, selfishly, sounds like a great blog post if you're looking for content for your website, because... God, I know I'd read it. You know, I mean, I'm always looking for resources like that. And it sounds super helpful for whether you're a vendor or a couple planning a wedding.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I might make it a blog post I never to, get around to blogging consistently.
0: That leads me into one of my final questions just around this idea of resources. So you said earlier, um, you know, it's important as much as you possibly can, knowing that there's only 24 hours in the day, and we all have other things we're doing with our time. But to try and stay as much as possible on top of about language you should use of conversations that are happening. Um, are there blogs, Instagrams, websites, newsletters that you follow that you find are helpful in that capacity?
1: Hmm. I do, I do follow quite a few like wedding publications and such, especially, be, especially ones that are geared towards the LGBT community. And i I realize I'm talking a lot about the LGBT community, as like one of the the communities that I support, especially. And it's, I mean, there obviously there are many other communities that are not accounted for or really catered to in the wedding industry. But that's like a particular group that I have put a lot of focus and a lot of my values towards supporting. So yeah, with just that preface. But I do follow Equally wed. On Instagram, and they've been a good source for inspiration, and also um, Catalyst Wedco. They're they're very good as well for inspiration, for also kind of keeping up to date with vocabulary. What I've actually found the most helpful, which is a probably less traditional of a suggestion, is if if you're seeking to better better understand a community that you're not part of, I found the best way is to follow people that are in that community and that are very vocal about current events and law proposals and you know everything, even their everyday experiences that affect them. I feel like from those, I'm becoming a lot more aware of ways to be more inclusive because I'm seeing how real people are affected by things like only seeing like a male or female bathroom option when they may not feel comfortable using one or the other.
0: Kind of like another duh moment for me. It's like what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is you want to know how people feel about this, go to the people that are living it. And it's just like, well, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, here I'm questing, like, what is the one, you know, ancient tomb that or tome that I can read that will, you know, you know, illuminate all of this for me. And you're like, well, I don't know, follow an Instagram person of someone who's like living this experience you're curious about that will probably show you at least some of their experience. And you can go from there.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Well, like, for example, um, the way I kind of do it is, there's people part of any community that are more like popular, I should say, like they've got a big following, they're you know very outspoken um, and you know you see you see their face a lot if that makes sense. and then there's a lot of people that follow those people that are I don't know how to say it like average joe's if that makes sense like they're just people living their lives they're not any kind of influencer or instagram celebrity they're just like living their lives and identifying how they do loving who they want and it's good to follow some of those people as well just to see like what like what their experiences are like what they're going through it's not going to necessarily make you like an expert on any kind of community but It's helpful just to, I think, gain a little bit of empathy and understanding how people navigate life when they have a different experience than you. People that are in different communities, you see what's important to them, times that they may be vulnerable as a community and as a person. I think that actually helps with vocabulary understanding and such too because you see what people are actually doing not like not like what the top blog represents but like what people real people are actually doing that that makes a lot of sense to me i can recommend some people right now that i'm really inspired by so um one person that comes to mind is called plus size trans guy and from following them you can honestly just look at the people who follow them And, you know, follow some of those accounts, you know, kind of like kind of expose yourself to more people and more identities and like widen your circle of knowledge. When it comes to like body positivity, Tess Holiday is great to look at. I don't just feel like from a (laughs) not from like a not just like a physical attraction side. I mean, she is gorgeous and she's super confident but i mean also from like a body acceptance standpoint and she faces a lot of critique in her her commentary but it's good to see how people stand up for her and how and how you know she stands up to people that are hateful as well um so there's like two examples off the top of my head those are great uh, no thank you
0: it's always i think always helpful to have names because you know often like I listen to other podcasts or I read other articles and they talk about these kind of big umbrella topics. And it's like, that's great. I really want to do it now. Who do I follow? Who do I talk to? Who do I, you know, what's my action there? So it's great to have, you know, even just two to kind of start with. And like you said, then go through those followers, see who follows them, follow some of those accounts, even if they don't have a lot of Instagram followers, they're still valid and you could learn something from them.
1: Right. Right. And I think it's especially meaningful to follow people that, that, like, don't live life similarly to the way you do. Um, Because if you only follow people that look like you and talk like you and have relationships like you, then you're essentially, you're narrowing your bubble of information and experiences to, to, like, learn from and absorb. It's not going to help you, like, grow and learn as a person. And I think it's important that we... You know, kind of like we're always learning and we're always open to learning. One of my painting professors and one of my mentors from college, she used to always say that the teacher is always the student. Even if you think you got everything figured out and people are learning from you, like you can still learn from other people as well.
0: That was Marissa Solini of Marissa Solini Photography. Find Marissa's work at com and at Marissa Solini Photo on Instagram you've been listening to the teardown a podcast for wedding vendors who've had enough i'm elizabeth kramer and if you like what you heard please leave a review for this podcast follow us on instagram at teardown or email me at elizabeth at elizabethkramer.com thank you for listening and keep fighting